0: Everyone faces challenges every single day. Some are chosen and bring us joy. Some are given to us and bring struggle or pain. Whether the diagnosis of an illness, the news of a friend's death, the loss of a job, or a bike accident, we may be asked to step up to face issues that demand courage and perseverance. Hurt is just one of the many aspects of full lives. Each week on this show, act, taking hurt to hope. Dr. Joanne Dahl helps us understand how we can use acceptance and commitment therapy to learn to accept what we cannot change and move forward into a valued life. Now, here's your host, Dr. Joanne Dahl.
1: Welcome to ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope. Today is our final program. And in that, I'd like to continue talking about something that I've been very excited about, and that is pro-social behavior. We're going to do a follow-up on the pro-social behavior we did with David Sloan Wilson last week. Remember that pro-social behaviors are those intended to help other people. Pro-social behavior is characterized by concern about the rights, feelings, and welfare of other people. Behaviors that can be described as pro-social include feeling empathy and concern for others and behaving in ways to help or benefit other people. One of the six key processes in ACT is valuing. We have found that it's quite difficult to ask people what makes them happy or what a person might value. It is quite difficult for a person to find empathy for herself. On the other hand, it is quite easy for this same person to feel empathy for others and know instinctively how to help how to help that person or even help them help them to value others using minimal language. This program hopefully will bring some insight into how pro-social behavior may be the quickest path to valuing when working with ACT. Our guest today is none other than Dr. Stephen Hayes. Steve Hayes is Foundation Professor and Director of Clinical Training at the Department of Psychology at the University of Nevada in Reno, Nevada. He is the author of over 35 books and over 500 scientific articles. His career has focused on an analysis of the nature of human language and cognition and the application of this to be the understanding and alleviation of human suffering. You can read more about Steve and his work and his books and current trainings around the world on his website that you can get to by clicking on his name on this week's episode of ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope. Welcome, Steve, to ACT, Taking Her to Hope, in one of our last episodes for the second year.
2: It's uh, great to be here with you again, Joanne.
1: Steve, I think this is the third time you've been on the program. Uh, and I have been very excited about your work uh, with David Sloan Wilson and others in, in this neighborhood project and pro-social behavior. What, what is your interest in that?
2: Well, you know, the pro-social aspect of the work that we've been doing in acceptance and commitment therapy, contextual behavioral science has been there from the beginning in in the sense that you keep running into these uh, social processes and the centrality of them. If you pick something like like values, let's say, uh, you know, when you really dig down, the ones that lift people up and get people going all have to do with other people. Mm-hmm. And even if they look as though they're kind of all about me, when you dig into that, they're often about other people. You know, if I want to do something with art, let's say, I want to share it. I want to show it. I want it to be revealed in the world. Mm-hmm. And so that has sort of been in the work from the beginning. And what has happened, I think, especially over the last three or four years as we've been working with some of the evolutionists. Uh, around the world, but especially people like David Sloan Wilson and others, is that we've found a way that sort of fits with our basic approach philosophy, uh, sort of units of analysis, to integrate some of the data that are there on how prosociality works, why it's so central, and it's penetrating into all of the concepts inside ACT and CBS from the most basic kind of uh, concepts about human cognition and language, uh, up to these highfalutin uh, kinds of uh, clinical intervention topics like values and everything in between, and uh, so I I think it's a shift that the the whole field is walking through of situating our individual psychological processes inside this larger network of social processes thought about in this contextualistic historical developmental uh, way that the evolution sciences bring to the table
1: Steve is this some um, is this a swinging from individual consumptionism and the and the in the traditional psychology that you and I are brought up with with one therapist and one patient when someone talking about themselves is this a something that's changing now in psychology
2: and i don't know if it's changing in all aspects of psychology it might because of the the kind of pressure that we're under there's a and, and the opportunities that are here i mean the 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 pressure that we're under is is that the the social fabric the the sort of quality of group and group identity that in a healthy way such as uh Club supports, those, uh, religious institutions, churches, et cetera. All of those things in the modern world are kind of weakening. Uh, on the one hand, on the other hand, through this technological change, we're more and more interconnected and uh, with people around the world. So I think we're going through a transition uh, in the the uh, social nature of who we are and what we do. Uh, is is stepping to the fore, and I see that in, in many forms of psychology, but I definitely see it strongly uh, inside the uh, ACT and, and CBS work.
1: So, Steve, you have been working on something with uh, David Sloan Wilson with something called the Pro-Social Project. Tell me about that.
2: This is an attempt to put together some ACT sensibilities with... Um, principles that were uh, developed by Eleanor Ostrom, the uh, uh, late Eleanor Ostrom, won the Nobel Prize in Economics in 2009. She's a political, was a political scientist. I was able to spend some days with her uh, before she died. And uh, David worked, uh, Sloan Wilson worked with her and wrote some papers about the things that she had found. Mm -hmm. But she had spent her life on looking at indigenous uh, peoples and how they handle common pool resources like rivers, lakes, forests, and streams in such a way that they maintain them, protect them. Uh, They don't uh, kind of over a forest or pollute. Uh, The tragedy of the commons doesn't happen. And uh, without uh, interventions of uh, Western science and heavy governmental regulations, thank you very much. And it turns out there are ways that that can happen if your group is organized in a particular way. They make good sense to behavioral folks and evolutionists. They're very simple, sound almost common sense. And we're trying to extend those principles now into pro social groups through web based uh, support and link it up also to some of the access abilities. Because as you move out of common pool resources into values based organizations and things of that kind, some of the uh, things that identify the group uh, uh, require some of the things that we know about from an acceptance and commitment therapy point of view. So we're marrying those two things up and seeing if we can uh, put something into the world that helps lift up and support uh, you know, thousands and thousands of pro-social groups around, around the world that need help and how to be more effective with each other in uh, uh, serving the purposes that they came to serve.
1: Steve, could you have any examples of what that might look like?
2: Well, sure. The Ostrom Principles, there's eight of them, uh, is essentially what they do is uh, focus the group on how they best work together, of, mm-hmm. of defining what their group identity is and then setting up systems where there's a collaborative decision making proportion of benefits and costs so that he feels as though, uh, you know, they're doing all the work. Somebody else is getting all the benefits of uh, being able to monitor whether or not uh, people are working together uh, and especially whether or not there's some distortion there in uh, the fairness and functioning of the group. And then have ways of dealing with it when, in fact, people do uh, things that are selfish and are not supportive, resolving conflicts and then uh, uh, allowing people as the group gets bigger to have a polycentric governance in which people can have their say within their their part of uh, larger groups and uh, be able to uh, organize uh, to get things done. Those are all. Sound like they're common sense, but if you look at your own departments or
1: Mm
2: -hmm. church group, or if you have a rock band or if you're trying to, uh, you know, collect uh, money for, uh, um, you know, water projects in Africa, or if you predict and just pick up anything that in your experience, you'll see that sometimes groups fail. And when they do, it's usually around these things. And really what it comes down to is that groups work. When the, they cooperate, when they uh, uh, focus on what they can do best together, mm-hmm. and, and when they rein in selfishness at the individual level, keep their eye on the good of others and the functioning of the group. What ACT brings to that is the barriers to, to doing that can be looked at psychologically. And the individual importance of that, the harmony of the the individual's values and the definition of the group itself can be explored. People step into pro-social groups because they care about others Mm -hmm. and they back away and become selfish because of grabbiness often that's around their own psychological barriers, a feeling uh, as though if they don't, they won't be. Cared for, and so that combination of being able to use your personal values to link it to the to the group, and and watch out for those psychological barriers that would lead to uh, selfishness or laziness, which is a kind of selfishness, um, empowers these other Ostrom principles, or so we think, and so that's what we're putting uh, putting together into a, a single project, and uh, creating a website and a training program and a manual and and helps and supports for people online and through direct consultation with uh, uh, trainers uh, to try to support groups around the world.
1: That's interesting, Steve. You know, I wonder about this, what you called selfishness. Uh, I I often think about the word, for example, egoist or egocentrism. I often think it, it that's a, that's a strange word because uh, egoism is not good for you and it's not good for other people. So it, it, it's actually more of a self-destructive behavior. But why do you think it's called egoism or selfishness when it actually doesn't help you?
2: Yeah. Well, part of what's interesting about this, if you start thinking in terms of groups and then selfishness, is, is it's, it's groups all the way down. Our individual psychology is very much like managing a group. When you're doing something selfish, almost always what you're doing is you're feeding just part of you
0: Mm.
2: at the cost of the whole of you. And how do you know that? You know it in vitality, health, engagement. You can see it in just the functioning of you as a totality. Let me give you an an example. If you, uh, let's say, are trying to make more money so that you will somehow let's say, be thought of better by others so that you will somehow, let's say, uh, no longer feel any insecurity or lack of confidence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but what you're doing is you're taking this one little piece of this vulnerable piece of feeling lack of confidence, let's say. You're taking it literally. You're taking it as if that's really something that's harmful to you and actually what it is orient you towards is is areas of of caring and concern and you're organizing your whole system around it and we know when you look at that that people who chase money for those kinds of reasons even if they get it it's not going to lift them up Mm -hmm. and it actually predicts higher rates of of stress depression etc nothing wrong with money but money to do that is just another unhealthy face of all kinds of distortions, whether it's avoiding your fears if you're dealing with anxiety disorders or you know feeding your narcissism if you mm. have dealing with personality disorders so it you know our job I think psychologically as an individual is something that's more like personality integration where you really Are gradually opening up to these spaces, of course, this is an old idea, the humanistic folks, etc. have long said it, where all of these different voices, vulnerabilities, feelings, memories kind of have a place at the table. That starts sounding very much like an effective group. Mm -hmm. So when we get into groups, in the normal way, we say the word groups of different individuals, the same thing applies. And so I think what you're saying is exactly right. This kind of selfishness is really self-destructive. And the reason is, is because it's undermining the wholeness, the peace of mind, the ability to sort of be with yourself in all these different ways, because it's only feeding part of yourself. It's Mm -hmm. another form of selfishness, even at a deeper level within you, Mm -hmm. of only feeding part of you at the cost of the whole of you. And if we can keep our eye on these processes, they're really Issues that are in multi-level selection and evolution gives you some, uh, and the evolution sciences give you kind of a, uh, an orientation towards what we're doing with mindfulness, what we're doing with acceptance work and values-based work. That kind of changes it and and makes it fit within uh, a, a, a range of issues that allow you to scale it. So this is why a project like Prosocial that is looking at these processes at the level of groups of individual people harmonizes with uh, the act and CBS work because we can see that really we're just scaling some of our same principles to another level uh, of analysis. And that, that's helpful to, to both parties. It's helpful in the sense that it it gives the act work a place to go that really means something. Mm-hmm. Mindfulness that's not linked to something, values work that's not linked to something that real in the world of behavior and so forth has an empty quality, and it kind of helps us find our uh, our uh, friends and colleagues around the world to think about things in very similar ways, but at different levels of analysis.
1: Steve, the, what you're saying reminds me some of you know our, our book about relationships uh, uh, that we wrote together, it's, uh, Ian Stewart and Jonathan Kenther and Christopher Mortel. Uh, we mm-hmm. uh, it. Was quite similar in when we asked people in intimate relationships, uh, we not these words exactly, but you know, what is the function of your relationship? And if people said um, to, uh, to validate me, you know, right. a, that's just really another form of narcissism, because right. if, if if you're looking for validation, if that's the function, it's, it's an un, uh, it would never be fulfilled. Because it's your yourself that you're loving if that's what you're doing we th- we thought that was quite similar to what what you're saying of you know more selfishness or self-oriented uh, that I'm here to, to be fulfilled by someone else
2: yeah exactly I think this is like a fractal it, it's just these same things that go all the way down and of course they go all the way down into you as an organism you got three trillion cells that have to cooperate and Inside your cells, mitochondria and eukaryotic cells have, have to cooperate with the rest of the cell. It's, it's groups all the way down. And uh, being able to kind of harmonize these things that, uh, that requires that uh, the group be a unit, it succeed as a unit, and we confront selfishness at, at lower levels. Uh, not, You never eliminate it. That's why you still have cancer. That's why you, you know, mitochondria sometimes will... Produce, you know, male cytoplasmic sterility, trying to only pass on uh, its its genes, etc. Whenever you have a group, there's a tendency towards selfishness, and that's true within. There's a tendency of certain thoughts or feelings or memories to dominate over our psychology, and when we come together in physical groups, for us to be thinking about just ourselves and and not about uh, others. But it's uh, it, it's a part of our challenge is to work through that. Keep our eye on it and set up cultural practices, therapy practices, et cetera, that empower people to, to be able to come together in, in groups and and, and and succeed. Because our big problems on the planet are going to be solved in groups. And the pr- big problems we can make on the planet are ones that we make in groups.
1: Mm-hmm. Steve, you, you've recently published a, a theoretical article on this. Can you tell us a little about that?
2: So well, I've been pursuing... And really, sort of taking this sensibility that's inside evolution science and multi level selection. Multi level selection is that old idea which now really getting traction again, uh, saying that cooperation comes because sometimes, under some conditions, groups can do a better job when they cooperate. And if you learn how to rein in selfishness, you know, that gets selected uh, very much like. We've learned to think about how genes get selected uh, by contingencies of of, uh, survival. And I have been allowing that to penetrate uh, all of the thinking that is in the relational frame theory work, the acceptance and commitment therapy work, uh, when I, uh, you know, go into those topics. So you you see it now in, in ACT writings, and I've been pursuing it even at the level of our our basic psychology you know the relational frame theory work that's underneath the act uh, didn't have a good account of of where symbolic and cognitive behavior came from and what i've been exploring and 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 writing about is that you really cannot come up with an uh, uh, a plausible account that i've seen if you Don't start with human cooperation and human sociality. If you take just this finding, this important finding that was in the RFT work early on, which is the ability to respond in in a symmetrical way. If you learn that, let's say, an object has a name, that when you hear that name, you orient towards the object. Twelve-month-old babies do that. Even the language-trained chimps, so-called, don't do that. If you don't do that, you don't develop normal human language. We know it's a pivot point. Well, you really, if you think about it, can see that this is a shifting of speaker and listener roles. If I say something like apple when I see an apple, and then I do this in workshops now just to sort of show the point. If, If I were to reach for an object and say its name. And you saw me doing that, even if you didn't know the name, what it meant. If you could tell that I was reaching for something, you would give it to me. So uh, people happily do. If I go up and I reach for their pen and give it a strange name, within about three seconds, they're giving me their pen. Mm -hmm. What that means is, is that we as a social community, because of. Our level of cooperation and other things like social referencing and uh, joint attention, being able to understand these sort of basic almost theory of mind things before human language really gets going of understanding the intentionality of others is that if I simply have a characteristic name for something, object name, the community will give me the name object relation. If I if, if I'm saying the name and reaching for an object, they will reward that by providing the object so that we as a social community came together to use symbols in such a way that the speaker and the listener are doing the same thing. The areas of your brain that light up when you speak a a, a particular name are the areas of the brain that light up when you understand and hear that same name. The listener side and speaker side are integrated even down to our underlying neurobiology. And if you can't have that shifting of roles and perspectives, you don't have human symbols. So part of what this is saying we've, we've, uh, is that even to the the level of knowing the name of an object, we are social creatures. There, It isn't just me knowing that. We know that. And there's a kind of psychological us that has penetrated us that, and, and lifted us up. Our individual psychology really is an illusion it's Mm -hmm. it's a at the most basic level there is no I there's a we there's an us and uh, that gets extended out through perspective taking frames and skills as we learn to take the perspective of others and we've been able to show that this taking the perspective of others uh, having empathy for others and not running away when it's painful that combination predicts very important things like whether or not you objectify others, dehumanize them, whether or not you enjoy being with them. So uh, this basic message of the social nature of human cognition, uh, I think kind of informs and enriches the work that we've been doing in the acceptance and mindfulness and values based uh, traditions. And I think will give us new ways forward for interventions, measurement, uh, and being able to do things that will empower those that we serve.
1: Steve, um, if I think practically about this, um, I know that most many therapists have difficulty with uh, when people are trying to do things for themselves. When they're thinking about an I, it's somehow very, very difficult to uh, think of what do I need and how do I feel. But as soon as you, uh, you think of yourself as another person. Either as a friend or as yourself uh, in the future, uh, it seems to be helpful to know, you know, how to help yourself. Is is it is it? I mean, from is it difficult for us to actually look at ourselves?
2: Well, it, you know, there's a, a body of evidence that says just the simple task before you do anything else, you don't need even if you do any work on acceptance, any work on mindfulness, any work on values. If if you mess around with time, place and person and and allow consciousness to move around those three spaces, you will get greater acceptance, you'll get greater mindfulness and you get greater values orientation. If I can I give you an example, just exercise somebody might do. Mm -hmm. If somebody were going to if you're going to explore this, imagine something that you really suffer with, you really struggle with and just close your eyes, get really clear on that. And then when you're really clear on that, Imagine yourself being in front of yourself, looking at yourself, sitting there with that issue and just take a little time to see what you look like from the outside and see kind of how do you feel about that person? And then if you now move to the side of the room so that you're standing away from yourself, looking back at yourself, and if you can sort of picture that not very far from here, there's likely other people, some of whom are also sitting there. Dealing with things that are painful for them. And the same thing. What what do you think about that person? And then imagine that it's 10 years from now and things have moved in a wiser way. And what you're picturing mentally is a, a memory. Of that time that you were suffering with something and you you did this thing that you had heard about on a radio show to look back at yourself, to go to the side of the room, to remember that there's others uh, around you, not too far away in the same situation. But now it's 10 years from now. And if you could magically take the wiser things you've learned over those 10 years and kind of whisper something to the person who's sitting in their chair, what would it be? And then if you sort of come back and to the person in the chair and the whispering will be just your memory of what came to mind, you know, I've done this with people who are so disturbed and so deep into suffering. And you know, it's the words that come out of their mouth without all, you know, hours and hours of therapy or anything it has to do with the acceptance piece with the, sharing peace and with the stepping forward uh, into your values and, and stepping forward into the social community pieces that people just naturally from that perspective become wise. They, so in a way it's kind of like the, we know healthy things to do. Mm-hmm. We know it's not healthy to feed just part of ourselves. We know it's not healthy to, not be in community with others and be there for others. And we get in our own way. And uh, I think perspective taking this social piece, deliberately going to the the kind of uh, ability to kind of look at yourself, uh, grounds you into a wiser set of, uh, of of ideas that are there, even without reading books and without going to therapy and, uh, just by your virtue, by your birthright of being in this social primate culture that we've created called the uh, humanity.
1: Yeah, so so that's really something to think about. Steve, how do you, We're getting towards the end of the program. Now, Steve, what what do you think the future holds when it comes to perspective-taking and pro-social behavior? What role will it play?
2: I'm excited to see what's happening, especially as we n- nestle underneath the umbrella of the evolution sciences, and as evolution science get out gets out of it uh, phase of being all about genes and starting to think more about uh, learning as a kind of evolutionarily relevant uh, process. Really, the scaffolding of evolution is learning, and uh, I think we're 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 entering at a time in which this multiple level, multiple dimension kind of perspective of thinking about things in, in different ways, and uh, is going to be at the center of things. And I would like to see the day when a therapist doesn't just uh, ask you, you know, what do you want, but asks you, uh, what do you want to do for others, and 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 views that as a kind of a natural extension. Of dealing with human suffering and I think that would be good for the world I think it would be good for people uh, who who are suffering and if we can uh, find a way to put it together in in a coherent uh, package that kind of uh, makes sense that we can reach therapists we can reach uh, uh, clients in our role as psychologists and yet be part of a larger team that includes policymakers and social change folks, advocates, and others that will, will be able to em- empower the whole of us uh, for the good of humanity.
1: Yeah, that reminds me some of, of Kennedy's words, ask not what you can do, what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. As, as psychologists, we could ask that same question to people.
2: It, it'd be interesting to start there, wouldn't it? And <laughs> I... I, I I think you'd be very likely to get better uh, outcomes and better results if you did start there.
1: Steve, uh, once again, thank you so much for being on the program and um, contributing in these episodes. Uh, I'm sure there are um, many, many people interested in this, and you're a very inspiring speaker on, on this issue. So thank you so much.
2: Well, thank you for the, 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 the project that you picked up here, Joanne, because I know thousands of people around the world have listened uh, to these uh, radio shows, and I know that you're doing good and all the effort that you put into it. So, so thank you for that.
1: Thank you for joining us today.
0: Thank you for joining us today. For more information about Joanne and her work, please see her website at joannedahl.com or click on the host website icon in front of you on the webtalkradio.net page. Joanne's books are available through Amazon.com, including her two latest, The Diet Trap, Feed Your Psychological Needs, and End the Weight Loss Struggle Using Acceptance and Commitment Therapy, and ACT and RFT in Relationships, Helping Clients Deepen Intimacy and Maintain Healthy Commitments Using Acceptance and Commitment Therapy and Rational Frame Theory. Amazon also carries her books on chronic pain and other topics. We hope you'll join us again soon for another episode of ACT. Taking hurt to hope.